0: Welcome to life bringing you insight and experiences into love, relationships and fertility with a focus on enjoying life and moving forward. On today's podcast we'll explore why infertility is so much more prevalent today, notably the impact of social and environmental factors with Dr. Richard Grazi. Welcome to life, love, Insight, Fertility, Experiences. Today we'll be speaking with Dr. Richard Grazi, the founder of Genesis Fertility and Reproductive Medicine, the director of the Division of Reproductive Endocrinology at Mamadi's Medical Center, both located in Brooklyn, New York, and who has done extensive work on the ethical and clinical issues related to the field. We'll explore why infertility is so much more prevalent in today's world and take a look at the social and environmental factors Welcome, Dr. Grassi, and thank you for being here today.
1: Thank you, Laurie, for the invitation.
0: Oh, please, my pleasure. It's so interesting to start to think about why infertility has become so prevalent in today's day and age.
1: Well, we hear about it more often than we did in the past because people are aware today that there are many new technologies that can help couples who have infertility to build their families And as well, there are more couples and individuals as well who are willing to talk about their fertility problems. So that's two factors. But going back to some of the scientific reasons for why we see more infertility today is that the environment that we live in has changed very much in the last 100 years or so as our country has become more industrialized There are more toxins in the air and in our water and in our food supply. And it's known, for example, that sperm counts have diminished worldwide in the last 100 years. And it's thought that that is likely due to changes in our environment. How
0: interesting is that? Because you don't really think of that. You typically think of the woman working until she's a little bit older. And you don't really think about the environmental factors.
1: Well, it's very big. There's uh, pollution coming from uh, smokestacks and, and, uh, and waste that goes into our rivers and eventually into our food supply. So uh, that h- has an effect on us. We don't tend to think of the things that we ingest and breathe every day that have toxins in them, but we do know that there are... Things that are called um, that are called endocrine disruptors. They come from uh, chemicals, heavy metals that are released in polluted air and exhaust, etc. And there are certain substances in the environment that we touch, that we ingest, and those can uh, bind to our hormonal receptors that are very important in reproduction. Yes and have an effect on the way that people are functioning physiologically not only women but also men
0: well it makes so much sense because we all know that what we eat impacts our health and our fertility so why wouldn't the air and what's in it today impact it as
1: well it it, it does and uh, some of it is so subtle you may be aware that uh, Mm -hmm. we've We've had bottled water now for a couple of decades. That's become very uh, common for people to use for some reason. And now today, people have become aware of these BPAs in the plastics that are used. So you'll see a lot of plastic water bottles, like the one near you, Mm that say BPA-free. BPA BPA is bisphenol A, and it's a known endocrine disruptor and uh, known to affect not only the person who's uh, coming into contact with that and the fluids that are coming into contact with, mm-hmm. but also if a woman is pregnant, that can be passed on to the fetus. So this has a, um, a, an intergenerational effect not only of on course. the health of people but also on their future fertility. That is why there's an effort to eliminate some of these things in the environment. But the truth is that it's very hard to avoid these things completely because there are pesticides in the in the environment that go into our fruit, there are, um, there are chemicals that are used in agriculture that are uh, that are um, ingested by animals that are being fed by what's growing from the ground, and all of these pass up to us in the cha- in the food chain, and can serve to uh, disrupt our fertility potential. And so yeah. there is a sort of biological reason for why we'll s- we're seeing a general trend in in the um, the the decrease in fertility
0: what i think is so fascinating that you're talking about is the environmental impact because we talk about i had a nutritionist on a few times already or a couple of times we don't really necessarily go into the sourcing of the food but the impact of it and healthy eating and not healthy eating and bmi but when we think about plastic and the pollution and the toxins it's really important for people to take a look at. I just heard something on the news the other day about, and I don't remember the percentage of plastic that each person ingests into their system. So now when you think of that being transferred down to either your fertility hormones or passing it to the fetus, that's so significant in terms of generations. but it's
1: not like you touch something and all of a sudden you become infertile. It's a very, very gradual process. And again, they're hard to avoid. There are substances called, chemicals called phthalates that are almost ubiquitous. They're found in uh, household cleaning uh, liquids. They're found in makeup as uh, congealers of the makeup that a lot of women use. There are phthalates even in paper, the little receipt that comes out of a cash register. what are people
0: supposed to do with this? Information and
1: we can't control our environment completely because that's part of 21st century living. But there are some things that we can control, which is uh, what we eat, and eating a healthy diet and exercise obviously is mm. really important. W- S- which brings me to well, a- can another. I go back for a second? Sure. So, if
0: somebody was to say, I'm not going to use plastic anymore, I'm going to try and stick to glass. And if I buy something in a can, I'll use it, although I try not to. Would that help them, or is it just too much in the environment that those small changes, which would be huge for the person, wouldn't make a big difference?
1: I, it, it's uh, interesting that you uh, mentioned eating things from a can because most of the liners of aluminum cans. Mm-hmm contain phthalates. And so we're exposed to it no matter what. It's not like these chemicals are deadly, but they do over time have an effect on us. And uh, again, they're impossible to avoid and to have a normal life. But again, some things are controllable, like the things, the foods we ingest. We have to be careful. For example, there is a difference between organic fruit and vegetables and, uh, and industry-grown fruits and vegetables. Right. The, there, there are lots of um, uh, chemicals that are used to shine and clean the industrialized uh, fruits and vegetables, and, and those are, are, are probably somewhat noxious to our system as well. So eating organic. Well, they or probably
0: are, but I think it becomes expensive for people.
1: It is expensive, and uh, it's not realistic to avoid them completely. But some things about our right. diet, we can control, for yeah. example, the amount of, uh, of uh, junk food that people eat, mm-hmm. the amount of unhealthy food that we ingest. And as you know, obesity in America has become a huge problem, even going back to when I was in medical school, which was a few decades ago, <laughs> I admit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, obesity was something that affected something in the area of 20% of the population.
0: Is that based on the BMI?
1: Based on BMI. Okay. um, If we look at uh, women who have an additional problem with BMI, about 40% today are obese, and another 10% are extremely obese, defined by BMI. And And then there's another 15% that mm -hmm. are overweight. And uh, obesity is not just extra weight. Fat is metabolically active, and it has an effect on the hormonal functioning, uh, especially of a woman's cycle. And by the way, obesity affects men's reproductive capacity as well.
0: I know that there's been some recent things in the, in the press about this, and also underweight. So if your BMI is too low, is that also something that people should be concerned about?
1: Yes. I- extremes of body weight, whether too low or too high tend to be problematic, although obesity obviously is a much more uh, prevalent problem than being underweight. But they both have effects. They both will stop, for example, a woman's menstrual cycle. Um, Obesity in men is known to cause uh, a decrease in sperm function, Mm -hmm. a decrease in counts and quality. And that is something that people do have control over.
0: You don't usually hear about it impacting when it's the man. You usually do hear the obesity, or sometimes, in rare cases, the underweight impacting the woman. So how do you address it in the man?
1: Well, we tell or our patients, and they usually come to consult with us as couples. When we see obesity in men, especially extreme obesity, we always point out to them that that is going to affect their sexual function something which they've already found out right because um, obesity causes changes in the liver which mm-hmm. causes changes in yes. testosterone function and changes severe changes sometimes in libido but it also can affect sperm count so weight loss for men is a, a very big part of improving sperm quality
0: so if somebody was obese and they started to go on a diet would the immediate weight loss be able to help with the sperm count, or would it take time?
1: It always takes time for changes in weight, to m- which bring somebody back to the norm, to take effect. So we need to give time for these right. things to happen. And one of the problems is that we don't have time for a lot of couples because so many of them come to us at an already advanced reproductive age, unaware most of the time that uh, obesity is a problem and also aging is a problem.
0: I think everybody always thinks of the number 35 as that magic number that could be a problem. But really, depending on your body and the impact, I believe that that number could wax and wane. Uh,
1: That is true. Uh, The problem that's associated with what we call advanced maternal age, which has been uh, sort of earmarked at at the age of 35 but nothing magical happens at 35 and there's a yes. tremendous I always bio-
0: thank people for saying that because people get very nervous right around their 35th birthday that I work with uh,
1: again <laughs> your ovaries don't know when your <laughs> <Right>. birthday is <laughs> and, and there's That's a, lot a great of line I like <laughs> that <laughs> there's a lot of biological variability between women. There are some 35-year-olds who have a, a very robust egg reserve, mm-hmm. and there are women who are uh, much younger than 35 who are running out of eggs, and that's one of the reasons why women today will are, are, have become aware of it and there's much more of what we call fertility preservation going on. Yes. But th- in the main, the biggest problem that we have to deal with as reproductive specialists is women who come to us at an advanced reproductive age. And I stress, by the way, it's advanced reproductive age. It doesn't mean that they're old. It -hmm. just means that they're older, reproductively speaking. And there's just not enough awareness of this. uh, And I'll tell you where I think it stems from. You know, today, a woman, to a certain extent, is just like a man. A woman can be CEO A woman could be the prime minister of a country. A woman can do pretty much anything that a man can do. But, you know, we've evolved. The human species, sapiens, has evolved over hundreds of thousands of years. And biology is not going to necessarily change just because societal norms have changed. So even though a woman is, might first be feeling ready to build her family when she's mm-hmm. 40 years old, she's still subject to evolutionary biology. She's still born right. with all of her egg supply. And the egg loss that occurs o- over those years is going to affect her fertility potential. And that's not something mm-hmm. that necessarily can be reversed with the medications. medication.
0: Right, I- exactly. The medication could help to elicit what eggs are there, but it can't create
1: eggs. One of the most common fallacies amongst Mm -hmm. this group of women, let's say who are in their late 30s or early 40s, when they come in, they're surprised to learn that the aging problem cannot necessarily be overcome by what we call, quote-unquote, fertility drugs. They think Mm -hmm. fertility drugs are going to put more eggs somehow in their body, something which today is not possible. Maybe in the future, (laughs) but not as of today. Or if they have a fertility problem, they'll say, well, just do in vitro as if you can do in vitro fertilization and magically get a baby. They don't realize how uh, low the pregnancy rates are once you get into the early 40s. And by the time you get to the mid-40s, it's nearly impossible To become pregnant, at least for the first time, both naturally and with treatment. Well, because the egg supply starts to dwindle.
0: As soon as you hit your late 20s, you start to see the decline, and by 30, you see a marked decrease. And so by 35, you kind of see this other mark. Would you agree with that?
1: Uh, Well, I hate to break this to the audience, but actually, the egg supply begins to diminish at the time that you're born. And that is yeah. an incessant process—the egg loss that occurs over time. It's just that what you're talking about is that the rate of egg loss begins to accelerate somewhere in the mid to late 30s mm-hmm. in the average woman.
0: So now I'm thinking about s- people who I work with or anybody listening to this, and saying, "Like, how am I going to do this? I drink water from a plastic bottle all day long. You know, I'm." going to be 36 years old and my husband is heavy or my partner is heavy. How do I go about ever even conceiving and the anxiety level increasing?
1: Well, the first thing, of course, is that knowledge is power. And Mm -hmm. so educating oneself about the determinants of fertility and the fact that you cannot replenish your egg supply ever. Mm -hmm. Again, that's why women today in their mid-30s or even younger will freeze their eggs.
0: Becoming very popular. Yes,
1: it is the only way to freeze time. And I want to also confess that biology is selectively unfair to women Mm. because men continuously make sperm during their reproductive lifetimes. And that's why they remain fertile into the fifth and sixth and even seventh decade of life where fertility ends at a certain point for the average woman
0: it's really amazing when you think about it like the discrepancy that way it really is
1: we don't know why mother nature (laughs) built in this uh, expiration date for Mm. the the egg supply but there are a lot of questions that we have there are a lot of things that we don't know
0: it could just be as simple as it's it's difficult to carry a child and deliver
1: it's not only that in days of yore, women never lived past the age of menopause. So this is a recent li- a recent phenomenon that that w- women will live for many decades past the menopause.
0: It is recent. It and is when you think about it, in the scope of things.
1: Yes, and and biology again is cannot be manipulated so well. I'll give you an example. Um, w- women come into the uh, to the consultation room, and sometimes they've been partnered it's it's one thing if you've reached 40 years old let's say and you still have no partner with which to build a family so that's understandable that you haven't tried to get pregnant but some women will be married even for five years or more and they come to the consultation and they're age of 40 and they've been using birth control for longer than 10 years and I'm like well you know we're going to try obviously to help you out but there is an impact of aging you know a lot of women think that when they take birth control pills which stop ovulation from occurring that that preserves their egg supply but the oh science really, I haven't fact, heard that so the but sci- yeah there but there is a lot I of that I could
0: see where they would logic that but
1: they're not it's releasing unfortunate. that egg, yeah. so it must be they're saving it for another day. Yeah, but the egg loss that happens is incessant. Even women who are pregnant will continuously lose their eggs. Even women on birth control pills continuously lose their eggs. Nursing women, women with no periods, it doesn't distinguish. eggs Age and eggs are lost continuously throughout a woman's lifetime. So and, and fertility drugs cannot reverse that.
0: Yeah, and by the time that people come to your office, they're not at the point where they can freeze their eggs. So do you discuss some of the options with them, how many tries they can do using their own egg, or when's a good time to start to look it at alternatives? It, it is
1: true that in the early days of egg freezing, when the technology really did start to improve, which was about 10 years ago when we developed new methods of freezing eggs and harvesting yeah. them.
0: And also defrosting them, right? And defrosting them. Thawing them, yeah. Yes.
1: Um, that, that women in tho- at that era of time would typically wait until they were 40 and say, okay, now uh, I'm ready, I've I'm, had I'm, I'm my options, please freeze my eggs. And most of them didn't have enough of an egg supply to make that a viable option. Or even if they do, and some women preserve a very robust egg supply even into the early 40s, that doesn't mean that the eggs have been protected from the aging process. Mm -hmm. The aging process specifically causes genetic changes in those eggs, specifically chromosomal rearrangements, Mm -hmm. that make them less susceptible to successful fertilization and implantation. So if you take, for example a woman in whom we're able to harvest 20 eggs at the age of 40, her right. chance of having a baby is going to be about a third that of a yeah. woman who has the same 20 eggs as the a- at the age of 30. Right.
0: Um, e- I didn't even think you'd say a third, so... That's, that's a bigger well, number than I am. Well, of
1: course, the catch 22 is it's yeah. hard to get 20 eggs from a 40 year old. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, it's so really the more you need,
1: but the less you have.. Yeah. And so when we are facing that type of situation, a woman comes in and she's partnered and she wants to uh, and, and she wants to have a baby. She's not partnered, by the way. Lots of times we'll tell her, you know, you should just use a a donor sperm and try to get pregnant while you can. Mm -hmm. And we do tests of ovarian function. Usually we'll measure a hormone called anti-malarian hormone, which is a very important hormone. And we look at the ovaries and we do follicle counts. And we can have a pretty good idea of a woman's fertility potential at that point in time. And if we see that there's any chance at all because everyone wants to use their own eggs. We never get uh, a a visiting woman to the office who says, you know, if I can get pregnant with my own eggs, that's fine. But if I can use a donor, that's fine too. I mean, most women will not agree to use an egg donor until the door to their own fertility is closed, Mm. shut, locked.
0: (laughs) I, I would absolutely agree with you, because the donor egg elicits so many other feelings, more so than surrogacy, I find.
1: Yes, so and that's obvious, because this is not their own genetic child. And women, when we, when we first bring it up, as we often need to do, the first reaction I- is, I want to have my own baby. Yeah. And then I have to explain to them that if they get pregnant, using the egg of a donor, that's one cell that they're getting from that donor. They do the rest of the job. Right. The baby doesn't get born unless it's in their mind for that baby to get born, and they're going to nourish that fetus during nine months of pregnancy. That baby is going to yeah. be delivered from their body. It's going to nurse from their body, and it's going to grow up and call her mommy
0: so I believe that there's DNA absorption I know that there's different opinions about that but I very often actually had a conversation with somebody a couple of hours ago who's considering donor egg because she's uh, on the older side at this point for fertility and um, we were talking about the fact that first of all if she did not intend to have that child it wouldn't be created even if it's she happens to be married this woman so even if it's her her husband's sperm this child still would not be there because this time wouldn't be picked and that she's the one nurturing and caring for the child. She's the one raising the child. And from the moment it's conceived, it is the only person that this fetus knows.
1: That's correct. Still a
0: challenging thought. Uh, The surrogacy, though, I think what's made it easier for people in many ways, whether it's their egg or not, is that there are so many celebrities that have come out and said that they use surrogates that it's become kind of culturally acceptable. D-
1: that is and true. However, those same celebrities that get pregnant wi- from egg donors do not come out and openly they don't, say and no, that's the issue. They don't. And there's a tremendous yeah. amount of disinformation. Now just getting back to the egg donation story, I often have to explain to patients who have no children, you know, w- what makes a mother a mother? It's not, nobody looks at their child and says, there's my egg, there's mm-hmm. my DNA. They look at their child and they say, that child has my values, that child is a, a good person. Yes. I, I I raise them, that's, that's your child. It may not be your biological child, but that's your child. And many women do understand this. By the way, you know, in in uh, the at the beginning of our practice, we used to see patients go through egg donation only for their first child. But today, about half of the women who come for egg donation already have a child. They want to have another one, but they had that child at a later age, and now that expiration date has passed, and they just can't do it again. And those women know what makes them a mom.
0: Yeah, I run fertility support groups. The conversations are similar and the concerns are similar. It's not just necessarily their decision to have the child through a donor egg. Then you have to work on their comfort level with it and make sure people are comfortable. And then it's how do you have these conversations with the children? So it's something that goes on throughout the lifespan of the child, similar to adoption, the dynamics are different in terms of feelings a child has being born through donor egg than adoption, but the conversations continue throughout the lifetime.
1: We do insist that anyone who is considering becoming a parent through the services of a donor, whether it be donor sperm, donor egg, or surrogacy is donating the womb temporarily, first have a consultation with our in-house psychologist, who's an an expert on third-party reproduction, so that they've thought about these issues and reached some decision-making even before they go through the treatment. And uh, it is correct, and I tell them also, you know, to you, it seems like a big thing. But egg donation and sperm donation, these things are openly discussed with the children that are born that way from the time they're very little. And it's, even though it has it's a very emotionally charged issue for the woman or the couple, for the kid who learns about this at an early age. It's like, okay, you had the talk. Can can I go out and play baseball? It's just part of their life, and I don't think it necessarily is going to cause an identity crisis. No,
0: I don't know that it'll cause an identity crisis at all. I think that most of them feel very wanted and very worked for and very loved as it's presented. So that's kind of the outcome of what I've seen and what I've heard.
1: Th- that's not surprising. I, I do want to go back to the issue that you brought up of, of surrogacy. Um, the surrogacy is an open, uh, it's, a, it's an o- open system. You're not pregnant and then you have a baby. So everybody knows about that. Yes. The egg donation is something that's secret and people do not know when a donor egg has been used to, um, to initiate a pregnancy, I know that because many patients come to me because I've helped somebody that, not that they know, but they don't know that I might have used <laughs> an egg donor. Right. Sometimes it's not obvious from the age of the recipient because yeah. women can run out of eggs at 40, at 30, and even in their 20s. Yes. And, and uh, so it's not obvious But everyone is very closed-lipped about that, the way they are closed-lipped in the media about even having babies through in vitro fertilization. And that's why this myth of age is just a number has proliferated amongst, I would say, the female population that reads uh, magazines and tabloids. They're always subject Mm -hmm. to this. these stories about movie stars and celebrities that have their children at an advanced age. So there is a study what that I came out recently looking at magazine portrayals of celebrities who have their children after 40. And of course, they focus on the exceptional and make it as if that's routine. Oh, you can have a baby easily when you're 42 or 44 years old or older. and. There's very, very little mention of a reproductive technologies like IVF that helped. No mention whatsoever of donors, and by the way, no mention of all the risks that are that are taken on by women who begin their pregnancy at an advanced stage.
0: That's why I'm so glad that you're here today to talk about this. I think you know the more we can get this information out, the more that we're able to talk about it the batter, so that people don't feel like they're alone when they have to go to use a donor egg. And when you do wind up working with people who have used donor eggs or donor sperm, what they wind up saying is, well, nobody ever talks about it. You go into the difference between secrecy and privacy. And when do you need to keep it private for yourself? And then when can you share it? And that's sensitive. And to each person, that's something different. But, you know, we're almost out of time. And so... I wanted to know if you could come back and continue the conversation a little bit further so that we could talk about the work that you've done really with the religious community and um, some of the feelings and concerns and ethics around that
1: i'm very flattered that you've asked and it would be my pleasure
0: thank you and thank you for this information it's really fascinating if somebody wants to get a hold of you
1: Well, our practice has a a website, genesisfertility.com, and our main number is 718-283-8600, and we are reachable any time for appointments.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much. And if anybody has any questions or any comments, please feel free to reach out to me at lauriemetz.net.